and you know it's like we were saying earlier don't let don't let this happen to your family or you know let's if you're if your child is dealing with this like my child is this might help you so let's make let's make it available let's make access safe and legal for folks so that because most people in texas want to obey the law i mean it's a conservative place and law and order is a value that is coveted and respected there so let's let's not put people in the uncomfortable and dangerous position of breaking the law let's let's get these patients the help they need um legally Hey y'all, welcome back to Gramps Place, where I have the conversations everyone wants to have. We talk about all things government, economics, cannabis law reform, social equity, and politics, to name just a few. I talk with doctors, scientists, researchers, patients, and more, where you can get the information you need to make an educated decision. In this episode, I am thrilled to have as my guest cannabis activist and industry leader Andrew D'Angelo. Having the success of building Harborside Cannabis Company and Last Prisoner Project with his brother Steve, Andrew builds cannabis businesses and organizations from the ground up. He has a long track record of success, a vast network of associates, and the integrity to put his clients first. Let's meet Andrew and join the conversation. Andrew, and thank you for joining me here on Gramps Place. Great to be on Gramps Place with you, Chris. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I have to tell you, I am super, super excited to have you on the program. It means a lot to us here in Texas when we get recognition from a national figure such as yourself uh, that that gives us a boost in the, the movement here and in the industry in Texas, I think. Well, we all, that's what my life's work and mission is all about is is opening the doors to cannabis law reform and legalization as many places where they're shut on earth as we possibly can and certainly we have some work to do in texas to open those doors up so absolutely i'm I'm happy to help spread the word uh really appreciate it i've been looking forward to it i have followed uh yourself and steve for for several years now and uh been interesting watching y'all work and everything uh and and everything you do with with the last prisoner project and and everything so i really appreciate you doing this how much do you know about me and my story and how i got involved in the whole cannabis movement not much at all so i'm looking forward to learning about that okay i always like to ask that question first uh my 23 year old son approached me in january 2016 uh, 
about the idea of cannabis for epilepsy because he suffered with seizures, uh, although he had never had a, a actual diagnosis of epilepsy up at that point. Uh, he'd been on medications for about five and a half years, and, and uh, I don't want to say funny thing because it's obviously not funny, but uh, medications had the exact opposite of the effect, what, what you would hope would happen, right? And with each medication change, it got worse until it ultimately brought him to his end in June of 2016. Uh, the only regret I have is I didn't start my research at that point in time. But, you know, we had no idea that the end was approaching at that point in time. You know what I mean? So that's I'm my only regret. I'm so sorry uh, for your loss. What a terrible, terrible you. loss for you. But ultimately, it his decision was he didn't want to break the law yeah and and you know as a father you can't you can't argue with your son when they tell you that because that's how you raise them to be right you know that's right. law-abiding citizens and ultimately it was his end uh and and I, of course i've lobbied in dc i've lobbied in austin repeatedly ever since and uh i'm here to stay you know that's all i can say uh because what I've learned from people like you and your brother and uh, others like Mara Gordon uh, yep. and, and Amanda Ryman and a few others yep. that I've had on the show here as well. Uh, I followed them as well for several years. Uh, I know, uh, I don't know if you know, Dr. Joe Goldstrich, who worked with Mara Gordon for quite a while. I know uh, of him. I didn't get to meet him, but yeah. Maya um, and, um, of course, uh, Amanda and Maya are both good friends. Yeah, yeah I, I would imagine so. Um, um, you know, I just, I'm just so sorry to hear that story. And, and you know, I, I know that you already know this, but your son was in, in some respects murdered. Um, yeah. you know, um, the medicine's there, it's been there, they've known about it for a long time. Um, and there's a big relationship between the pharmaceutical industry, the rise of the pharmaceutical industry, and the rise of cannabis prohibition at the same time. I'm sure you're aware of this already. So, um, it's a real, it's, it's, I've heard so many stories like this and, and, um, and it's just so sad because it's it, all of this is entirely preventable. Uh, and that's that's the reason that's what drives me. You know, people ask me all the time if I get tired and, and ever think about giving up, you know, because I can't obviously help him anymore. But uh, and, and I do. I go to bed a lot of nights, you know, thinking, is it really worth it? You know, and then I go to sleep and then I wake up and he's the first thought that enters my mind in the morning. And it starts all over. Uh, I mean, my goal, and this is what I tell lawmakers, my goal is to see to it that no other parent or family member or, or loved one of any nature has to endure what I endure each and every day and will endure for the rest of my life. Yep. You know, the feeling, I, you know, you hear people talk about it. The feeling of, of, lose outliving your child the, the the saying itself you know someone outliving their child you hear people talk about it it doesn't register until it happens and that's another thing i like to convey you know 
to, to when I go visit with lawmakers, I tell them point blank, um, you're not going to change your mind until it happens to you, right? And I'm trying to prevent that. I'm trying to prevent you from ever having to be in my position. Yeah, I think it's very smart. When we started to make progress in California was when we started to hit elected officials and the public in the heart with our stories and 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 to convey that very message. This this terrible thing happened to my family. Don't let it happen to yours. Don't let it happen to yours because of some stupid stigma and lies and you know BS that ever that you know cannabis is one, probably the most widely studied planet on earth to 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 conclude that we haven't studied it enough is absurd we have studied it it's good for you by and large are there some harms caused by cannabis of course that just like there are by anything but sure. um um but but it's it's safer than aspirin and it's crazy that we keep losing our loved ones like this. So yeah. um, I, I think your message is spot on. And I know, man, I still go to bed with doubts and 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 wondering, did I waste my life on this? Because sometimes the progress seems so slow, especially in a place like Texas, where I, I've been I was there, I don't know, four or six years ago, and people were fighting for decrim in Austin and losing um, mm -hmm. every time every time yeah. and 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 the activists felt like they were on the verge of winning that was six years ago so i can imagine how frustrated everyone must be there oh in in the six years i've been involved with it uh i've seen a lot come and go just in six years you know come new new and new and, and all excited and energized and they go through one 120 day session down there in austin and they're like that's it yeah for a year and a half we, we're done you know yep. basically i mean you can do interim things but how much effect does that actually have you know unless you have a good relationship with a lawmaker you're probably not going to really get a chance to sit down and talk with them no and and staffers only go so far as far as i'm concerned because the staffer first of all has to believe in what you're selling yeah or it's not going any further it's not going any further yeah you know, that's right yep for those that may not connect the name uh would i gotta mention you're actually steve d'angelo's brother correct yes steve d'angelo is my older brother and um you know he's about 10 years older than me so he got a head start on the cannabis journey and and mission before i did but he brought me along and i've been doing this my whole life and now I'm a man of a young man of 50. So it's been uh, quite some time now that we've been both cannabis entrepreneurs and activists. Um, you have to be both because you can't really open a cannabis business without being an activist to make things legal. And sure. um, and then, of course, your business can't be profitable if the frameworks for that legalization aren't any good. Um, so. We all are sometimes reluctant, reluctantly so, and sometimes more enthusiastically, but we're all activists. We all have to be right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but the two of you together created Harborside as well as the Last Prisoner Project, right? 
That's right. We opened Harborside, which was one of the first licensed medical cannabis dispensaries in the world in Oakland, California in 2006. And then we started Last Prisoner Project, oh, three or four years ago now, I think, um, 18, 19, somewhere in there. Uh, we, for a whole bunch of complicated, some tragic, some transactional reasons, you know, Harborside went public in in on the Canadian Stock Exchange when the we went from medical to adult here. Our, we we were in a big fight with the federal government over a tax code called 280E, which you may have talked about on your program before. That's a very unfair tax code. So we sued the federal government. <laughs> and as the old song goes, we fought the law and the law won. Um, and um, so we had, unfortunately, we had a huge debt to the IRS that we had to pay. And, 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 and one of the only ways we could figure out how to do that was to invite more people to be part of Harborside through a public offering. Uh, that meant we had to exit the company. We had to leave the company, which, which, which was our baby. We found it, and that was somewhat painful. <laughs> it was especially it was especially painful when the exit didn't go so well. But we wanted, after 15 years of running a vertically integrated cannabis company and and doing a lot of business, the next project my brother and I wanted to take on was something that was getting back to the roots of all this and and the roots of all this are our our brothers and sisters locked up in prison and especially in a place like Texas there are people doing some serious hard time yeah. uh decades in 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 Texas and Oklahoma um uh and we need to get them out we can't have a billion dollar industry <laughs> soon maybe a trillion dollar industry and have all these people locked up for doing the same thing that all these other people are doing that are making lots of legal money doing it or yeah and so we felt a moral imperative to do that we looked around the landscape we saw a need for our our mission at last prisoner project is very simple release prisoners and help them re-enter into society these are we work on the cases that are post-conviction so every all your appeals have been exhausted and you're sitting there just rotting away in prison and you have no hope of getting out. And then we come along and, and we try to help the prisoner or our constituent file for clemency or pardons. And, and we go into a very long process with that constituent and their family to try to get them out. Then we also lobby lawmakers um, which I know you do a lot of there in Austin, but we lobby lawmakers to to enact laws. When when you legalize in Texas, hopefully you'll be able to get something we haven't been able to get yet anywhere, and that's called retroactive relief. So common sense dictates that when you change a law, anyone who got locked up for that law and it's not illegal anymore should just walk out of prison. I mean, there's they, yeah. they on that very day, you know, as soon yeah. as the ink ink's dried on the paper, you'd let everybody out of prison. That's what common sense would, I think that's what most Americans would want. Mm -hmm. um, and But we haven't been able to get that. And so what happens is we, we legalize without retroactive relief, or in many cases, without even retroactive expungement, um, record expungement. And, and so 
then we have to do it one at a time. And it, it's extremely slow. Uh, these petitions, even expungement, you have to hire a lawyer, you have to go through a process, you have to contact the county and the city and the prosecutor and the people you got busted and uh, um, by and, you know, you have to get them to cooperate and they generally don't want to. And, um, you know, it's this whole back and forth and, 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 and you have to have lawyers involved because if you don't threaten to sue them, they, they won't do it. And so it, it becomes very slow. It's just a very slow process. So I hope when Texas takes that great brave step forward, which I know you and a whole bunch of other people there are working on, you'll have, you'll be able to get retroactive release because that's, that's the most, then if we have retroactive release everywhere, you know, last prisoner project would be able, once our mission is full and everyone's out of prison and reentered into society, we're going to close up shop. We're going to be done. We're not going to be one of these nonprofits that just keeps going forever and ever and ever and you know, becomes a nonprofit for the sake of just, you know, existing. That's yeah. not, you know, we want to end. We want to have our mission be complete, everybody out and home, and then we can close up shop and move on to something else. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point. Get every prisoner out and then move on to something else. I like it. Uh, so tell our listeners what, what your role uh, was in the creation of the, the last prisoner project and and how involved you remain today well my brother and i started the organization with our own money so that was the first thing we did and i am currently serving on the board of directors and i'm technically the secretary on the board of directors um so i'm an officer and you know boards try to offer guidance and raise money for the organization. We hire and fire the leadership teams. The leadership teams then hires the uh, rest of the staff, many of which, about 25% of our staff right now are are formerly incarcerated folks, cannabis prisoners. Okay, cool. It, It is our hope and I'm pleased to announce that we will soon have a formerly incarcerated individual on our board of directors. Uh, that's going to happen this summer. And we want to get as many of the formerly incarcerated into our organization. Ideally, most of our organization someday will be run by the formerly incarcerated and I won't even serve on the board anymore. I, 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 you know, once we're through past the startup phase and we're, we're a little bit, we have some solid financial foundation underneath us, then, you know, we can hopefully be almost fully employed by the formerly incarcerated. So, so we try to lead by example in that way. And, um, and you know we're growing right now. We we added five or six staff last year, and I think we're adding another several staff this year. And so you know we're we're growing right now. It's very exciting time for Last Prisoner Project. The industry, your listeners, the community, the cannabis community has been so supportive. Many of our donations are small donors, less than a hundred dollars, um, and of course, we have a lot of industry support from our 
partners in the industry sure. that 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 work with us on on our roll it up for freedom program and our um uh um uh the the change change um program so one of the roll it up program is if you're a retailer or a dispensary it gives the opportunity for the patient or the customer to take their change from the the cannabis transaction and put it in a bucket or put it in a virtual bucket um, and they can support us that way and then we have um, another program that's for manufacturers and cultivators and they can pay as they go if you will so once they sell something you know we would get a small a small portion of that sale and and that would that's another way that cultivators and manufacturers can support us. So those those are the two industry programs we have. And I would say those programs bring in right now the majority of our funding. Okay, cool. So uh, I got to ask you, you started a new venture uh, in cannabis consulting, right? Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I really love being a consultant because what I get to do is build the entire industry across the country and, and now in other countries. My portfolio is getting into other countries now. So I have projects that are dispensaries that I'm helping build with clients. I have grows and manufacturing products that I'm helping to build with clients. I have consumption lounges. Uh, in, in certain states, we're starting to get into consumption lounges, licensed consumption lounges. So we're I'm, I'm consulting on on those models, too. And and then I do a fair amount of writing and speaking also, you know, that sort of helps support the consulting business and Last Prisoner Project, because I like I am with you today, I can talk about these things and some of your listeners might be interested in helping with LPP or might need a consultant. So, sure. um, but, uh, but, and, you know, running Harborside for 15 years, we had farms, we had manufacturing, we had lots of retail stores. Uh, at one point we had 250 people working for me, reporting directly or in, you know, through managers right to me. And when you do that, you learn so much about, what to do right and what what to do wrong sure. and and so i think that most of the consultants in cannabis right now are come from other industries or you know they're they're people with really powerful pedigrees they went to ivy league schools they've been consultants with big consulting mainstream consulting firms like deloitte or mckinsey and and they've decided oh there's this new industry i can i can go teach people how to do this and but i actually bring industry experience and 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 a love and respect and knowledge of the actual cannabis plant and the products and probably most importantly the consumers so i know how all of this works uh, from seed to sale and and so that that's kind of what i bring to consulting that's a little different than some of the other folks out there sure sure pardon this short break for a word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Gramps Place, the podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about all things cannabis and cannabis law reform, along with anything else that piques public interests. 
So, so what are some of the services you actually provide in your consulting? Is that, that you tell people where where the best place is? I mean, give us some examples. Yeah, well, I mean, I do, I do, I like to be a full service consultant. So what that means is, I don't, I generally, I'm not someone, I, I'm not a broker. I don't go out and help people raise money. I do put pro formas and business plans and investor decks together. So that's one service offering I have. Um, and that's not the full service offering, but that's like, let's figure out the business on paper first. Sure. And then let's go see if, if that offering is enticing to investors. Um, um, and so I prepare all those materials. I don't go out and then start meeting with investors. My clients have to do that on their own. Uh, but I prepare them for for those meetings and advise them, you know, on on them. If they want me to be there, I'm certainly happy to be there. But but I I, I generally I'm not the I'm the consultant, not the person that the entrepreneur. So it's probably better for the entrepreneurs to to do the actual fundraising. But I get everything ready, and then yeah. once once the business is licensed. Um, I help you build the business. So once you have the license and the funding, you know, then what? But um, it, 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 how do we design the dispensary? What's the best floor plan? What's the best branding for it? What's the best name for it? How are we going to differentiate ourselves in the market from everybody else? How are we going to compete with the big guys, the corporate cannabis guys, the multi-state operators? How are we going to compete with them? All my clients are regional entrepreneurs. They're not they're not publicly traded companies. They're not multi-state operators. That those folks are hiring the consultants from Deloitte and McKinsey and <laughs> and Harvard and Yale. But you know, my people that hire me want to compete, um, and so I I we do that together, and I, and we build the whole business from the ground up until opening day, and we cut the rib ribbon together, uh, and then you know, the client usually has a passion for running the business themselves. And so they run the business themselves from that point on. And then I, I move on to the next business. So I really like doing the full service work. Um, it's, it, it allows me to have fewer clients and really get to know each client and each business really well. And the more, I am able to do that. I like to embed with these businesses. I like to be on the ground. I like to be with my clients. Um, so everyone understand, I'm not just going to phone it in from far away. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, and then, you know, if we're really successful and the business is doing well and it's running, uh, sometimes people will ask my help for their exit if you know if the phone's ringing and a big bigger cannabis company wants to buy these this little chain of dispensaries or maybe a grower a branded manufacturing product then you know i have a, a lots of a relationships in my network and i i ping the people that are really good at exits and we you know figure out how to do that for people too but my specialty is really the the building of the actual business the the hardest part of this, the first hardest part is getting the license. The second hardest part is opening the business once you have the license. And then the third hard part is becoming profitable 
uh, once you open. But if you're able to jump over all three of those milestones, then you can exit. You know, then, you know, somebody might be very interested in buying you and acquiring you or merging with you. And you can, if you're an entrepreneur that has a lot of ambition to get bigger, you know, you could do that. Or if you have an ambition to have a good payday and sell your business, uh, you can do that too. And, and, you know, that's, that's, that's what typically happens with, with what I work on in my clients. Yeah. I'd have to say the hands-on approach is that has got to be more gratifying than, than you know, like you say, the phone in. Well, I don't know how to do it any other way, Chris. It's like, um, I built, I build things. What we're seeing right now in the industry is there are people that build things from the ground up like me. And there are people that acquire things <laughs> that have already been built. Um, yeah. and, and then sometimes they acquire them and they make them bigger and greater than they were before. And sometimes they drive them into the ground and destroy them. Uh, so, um, you know, those are usually the two things that happen with people who acquire things. And I like to build things. I find it much more gratifying to build something than to, you know, raise a bunch of money, acquire a bunch of things, bolt them all together, suck the value out and put it in my pocket and run away. I mean, that's to me, that's predatory. And I, I like I can. I can relate to that way of thinking uh, as far as build, liking to build things because, uh, I mean, I've done a lot of different things in, in my years, but I uh, started out with uh, as a first responder, EMT. That didn't cut it. Of course, it probably didn't help the fact I went to work in my hometown and knew everybody that I was picking up. You know, that's mm. not always pleasant. But, yeah. Uh, then I, I tried retail for a while, did some retail management, and, and managed a, a craft store from coast to coast. I worked was for them, you know. Uh, but I settled finally on commercial construction, and I've been in commercial construction for the last probably almost 30 years. Uh, last pushing 10, sitting in an office behind a desk as a project manager, but I'm still building things, you know. Oh yeah. From the ground up. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and mean, you the, finish one, you go to the next. So I can kind of relate to what you're, what you're saying there. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, it's, I just find it super gratifying when we're done and that dispensary is open and people are going in there and the community is really happy with what we've built and they're responding to it in a good way and patients, especially patients are thanking us for doing this, you know, and yeah. for, for being there for them. And what's more gratifying than that? I, I haven't found anything in my career more gratifying than that. That's one thing I can say. I started my, my first phase of my advocacy after losing my son in 2016. Uh, like, like I was telling you earlier, I started my research, started to learn about the lies and the realities behind the medicinal benefits. And uh, I'm like, geez, I got to get this out there, you know? So what better way to do it at the time than Facebook? So I made a Facebook page called Something Has to Change and Now. And uh, I started making videos where I was just literally reading the medical research papers to the camera <laughs> and putting wow. it out there. Wow. And, and I had... Uh, 
in no time I had probably 16,000 followers on that page. And then it wasn't probably six, eight months into that endeavor and that process that people had started messaging me on the page and saying, I, I just got to tell you that we never thought about cannabis or we didn't find cannabis till we found your page. And through you, my husband or my child or whatever now has relief like they've never had before, you know, and it, it that's pretty gratifying, you know? Uh, yep. I've, and, I, yep. It's it's pretty amazing uh, just the amount of people that have contacted me in six years in that respect. And all I've done is really share every, what everybody else is telling me, you know, the, the information that's out there. But uh, yeah, you're it, not even giving them weed. You're just giving them information. And still you're getting this incredible gratefulness for your efforts because, as you know, you know better than anyone when when people are suffering and families are suffering they don't care about anything but ending the suffering yeah, and, relief of some nature. and relief relief and some arbitrary law that doesn't make any sense starts to become less important um, yeah. um and 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 it it gives people courage to try um, yeah. And 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 then once they try, oftentimes they get these results that are just so amazing and 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 almost you know, truly miraculous. And I've heard thousands of these stories of people who just had miraculous recoveries, children, children with miraculous recoveries, and whether it's CBD, THC, CBN, CBG, all any all the combinations therein, you know. We have when people get relief from this because we've spent a hundred years in this prohibition space, it's and they've been suffering so much. You can really see <laughs> in their body language and their tone of voice and the words they choose to express their gratefulness to you. You can really feel yeah what a difference it's made in their lives you, you know and yeah. and it's it's it makes you it makes you feel it, it it makes you feel good about what you're doing with your life it makes you feel good it gives you validation this is a hard road to travel the cannabis road okay it your listeners know that and we need all the inspiration we can get so so when people and I, I just encourage people when you do get relief from cannabis, thank the people that have helped you do that and express that gratefulness because it helps people who are caregivers and providers of both information and medicine. It gives us a lot of motivation to keep walking down a very hard path. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely, because it is a very hard path to walk down sometimes. It's harder than others. But uh, it can be very discouraging, most certainly, most certainly. So uh, one thing that, that's on my mind, uh, talking about people starting cannabis businesses uh, and, and it being a hard road, what is one of the most important questions in your mind that a person should ask themselves before they attempt to go into the cannabis industry? Why? 
I think before we do anything serious in life, we should ask ourselves why and have a very clear understanding of why. And if your why is I want to make a lot of money in the cannabis industry, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that why. But understand that to achieve that goal right now is darn near impossible. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, uh, and so the... And uh, there's a common misperception that we're just printing money in this industry. And that may be true in certain little sectors with certain businesses that have been able to be first movers or they got lucky or, you know, something happened. Maybe they took some risk really early on and benefited from it or they got in early on the CBD train before it got flooded and whatever it might be. Right. There's some. Just like cryptocurrencies, there's some people that made a ton, but there's a, more people that lost than made. So, so, you know, you have to be very mindful about this. If you want to help people, um, if that's what motivates you, if that's your why, then, you know, it, that presents different sets of challenges, of course, but your gratification is more immediate in our industry because people are, even if they're just buying quote unquote recreational weed, they're pretty happy to get that weed when they're done purchasing at your store or, or if you're a wholesaler, you know, or grow or something, it, it's, they're pretty, everyone's pretty happy, you know, at the end of sure. these, tra- at the end of these transactions. And and so you get to see that even if the transaction itself was not profitable, um, the customers are happy and the patients are expressing gratitude and you know you're helping the community you're in. So for those that are getting into it for that reason, it sometimes happens a little faster for you than than those that want to make a lot of money. To make a lot of money is going to take 5, 10, 15 years, at least five years in this industry. Um, and if you hire a great consultant like me <laughs> and you position yourself right, you know, you can maybe exit in that. I mean, it will it will be no it'll be no less than three years and probably close to five or 10 years um, before you'll have that exit event. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's exactly what I would say. It would be why that, that's the, what I always answer to that same question is why, why do you want to first mm-hmm. being from a state with, with medical and rec recreational programs, I got to ask you, uh, what's your feelings on the federal situation? Are we, are we going to see any movement there anytime soon or is the gridlock going to remain? No, we won't see any movement anytime soon and the gridlock will remain. The Biden administration just isn't committed to this. We're trying to, Last Prisoner Project is just trying to keep him honest on his promise to that no one should be locked up for marijuana is what he said. He said that on the campaign trail. We didn't say that. I didn't say that. You didn't say that. Your listeners did. He said it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so don't say it if you're not going to do it, dude. Um, so we're trying, and so if we, if we can't, and he's, he's fired members of his own staff just for admitting that they had cannabis in their lives in the past. Um, not even that they have it right now. In fact, the, the Biden administration sent notice to their, the executive branch staff that you can't even own stocks. 
in yeah. cannabis companies. You have to sell all your stocks that you own in cannabis companies or you're not going to work for us. So I don't see how an administration that's doing that to their very own employees is going to legalize cannabis. I just don't see it. And without the Biden administration leaning into this very, very heavily, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, he could he could do it himself. He doesn't need Congress. He doesn't need Congress. He could do it himself. He just he he instructs the DEA to remove it from Schedule One. If the DEA director doesn't do it, they get fired, and and he keeps putting one in there until someone does. And yeah. and that's how that's how power works in Washington D.C. Uh, so anyway, I the, the long-winded answer to your question <laughs> is no. I don't see it happening. Um, I was hoping Bernie Sanders had the best plan going into this election. Yeah. And so if Bernie would have won, we'd be legal now. Yeah, I, I firmly believe that. Uh, yeah, we'd be legal for sure now. And, yeah. and and I have an opinion on what they need to do at the federal level. And it's real simple. Remove it from the CSA. Yep. That's all they're going to do and back away. Yep. They don't need to put no tax on it. They don't need to do anything. They need to live states, do what they want to do with it. Yep. Just get it off the CSA to open that door. What are some ways, in your in your opinion, that, that activists here in Texas can move this subject forward? Wow, it's so hard where you are. You're boxed in there because your legislative session only happens 120 days out of two years, every two years. And they don't you don't have direct democracy, so you can't get anything on the ballot in Texas. Yeah. If the if the local people legalize weed, the state will nullify it. So if Austin decided, hey, we want weed legal here, you can decrim in Austin, but you can't legalize because the people at the state house will, will crush you. <laughs> yeah. um, um, so how do you do it? And I think that it all comes to hitting people in the heart and the public. You have to win and you are winning. I'm sure that the polls in Texas show a majority of people supporting. Oh, yeah. And, and so you just got to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep telling the stories of the patients and people that are sick and, and families that have suffered like you and, and hit people in the heart. And the more we do that, the, the, the more pressure people will put on their lawmakers to make a difference. There's another, there, Delaware, there's children that use cannabis are also a powerful way to get change happening. So, you know, kids that are getting medical relief cuz you're going to get medical first, right? It's yeah. not going to it's so let's get medical first. Medical's more important than adult anyway. Um because I'm from the camp that all use is medical. Um, um uh not everybody's from that camp and we can have that debate. But um <laughs> uh, uh and I'm sure it'll be fun as long as we all smoke weed while we have the debate. Um uh but um, um, that's the camp I'm in. So we want to get that done first. And the way we get that done first, it might not even, you might have to go right to off to state house with these kids and have press conferences and engage the press and the press might not be so willing to cover this. 
um, but you have to make them willing. And, and you do that with really compelling stories of families. And, you know, it's like we were saying earlier, don't let, don't let this happen to your family. Or, yeah. you know, let's, if, you're, if your child is dealing with this like my child is, this might help you. So let's make, let's make it available. Let's make access safe and legal for folks so that, because most people in Texas want to obey the law. I mean, it's a conservative place and law and order is a value that is coveted and respected there. So let's, let's not put people in the uncomfortable and dangerous position of breaking the law. Let's, let's get these patients the help they need. Um, legally. I think our biggest obstacle is uh, our our lieutenant governor right now Mm. in terms of the decriminal aspect, decriminalization aspect. He's just absolutely against it. And uh, in terms of any real expansion to our compassionate use program to to where we can actually call it a fully medical program, right? Because yeah. uh, it's it's it is a compassionate use program at this point. It's not a medical program, not that's, not by any means. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah again, yeah. it's about wide, safe access. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, it, you have these. Um, I call. I think that's what you have in Texas: a CBD law. And if you're basically on your deathbed, you could get it um, uh, legally. Um, Actually, we've 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 had some expansions in the last couple of sessions. Uh, okay, they, there are there's a pretty good list of conditions now that qualify. Uh, okay, PTSD, neuropathy, uh, spasticity, multiple sclerosis, uh, several Parkinson's. Uh, there's there's a whole list of neurological disorders. But uh, then you have the CBD shops in Texas that are selling all kinds of the the CBD. Through the well, hemp, right? Through the the hemp. thing the thing they did in twenty twenty one, um, they tried to increase their THC limit, which is kind of ho- hocus pocus the way they word it anyway, because it's it's a percentage limit by dry weight is the way it's written. So it's it's not people hear you know half a percent, one percent, and they go, ah, it's crap. They still produce edibles and tinctures at the same same THC levels as Colorado, California, or any other medical state program does because it's by dry weight, their, their ratio. And they increased it to a full 1% by dry weight. So gummy might be a little bit bigger than what okay. you get in Colorado, but it still has 25 milligrams of THC in it. Now, but you have to have a doctor's prescription. Pres- and then yeah. where do you source that gummy? Uh, there's only two producers in Texas, and they have to be 100% vertically, vertically seed to sale, you know, integrated. Uh, and they have to, they can't have, <clears throat> excuse me, they can't have a brick and mortar dispensary. They have one location in Austin or wherever their their license is, is held, uh, whatever county, and they have to deliver to wherever. They can't mail. They have to physically deliver. Yeah. So they have to set up delivery locations around the state, which they're doing a really good job of. I mean, okay. I got to hand it to them. They're doing a pretty good job of it for only two providers. Of course, it's a scheduled deal. It's not you can't just go with the drop. Yeah, of yeah. Hat. Of course, you know, yeah, you place your order and, and it's scheduled. But yeah, that's it has gotten to... a little better. 
Right. So the THC is only accessible that way, but CBD is everywhere. Oh, yeah. And here's the thing. Because of the farm bill and the Texas hemp bill that passed in 2019, uh, with the, the 3% by dry weight on hemp, they got Delta 9 THC gummies in the stores now all over Gee. Texas. Delta 9 or Delta hemp, 8? Hemp derived, quote unquote, hemp derived Delta 9. Says right on the package, 3% by dry weight. Yeah. But they're selling them every day, you know. Wow. It's like well, the door's already open, folks. It's already yeah. here. It's it's you know, of course they, they have the Delta eight and the Delta ten and and the THCO and all of that as well has flooded yeah. the market here in Texas. Yeah, you know. because it's all made from C B D. Um mm-hmm. it's it's all highly processed in a lab C B D. And the only reason people can afford to process it so intensely is because the price of CBD is so cheap. Yep. Uh, uh, um, so, you know, it's, it's like, it's, you know, something's better than nothing. And, and, and it sounds like if you're a savvy consumer and you're in the right, you're in a town that has a CBD shop that knows what it's doing, that you can access, you know, psychoactive cannabis. I feel like we could probably talk on this subject for hours and on end. <laughs> yeah, we sure could. We sure could. So tell everybody where they can find your consulting services and other businesses. Well, my consulting is andrewdangelo.com. That's my website. You can drop me an email. My email's andrew at andrewdangelo.com. Last Prisoner Project is lastprisonerproject.org. And Harborside is shopharborside.com. Unfortunately, you can't shop at Harborside unless you're in California. But if you happen to visit here, you know, please um, check out Harborside. Check out some of the other dispensaries like Cookies. Cookies is really interesting. And then some of the smaller mom and pop dispensaries are super fun to visit, too. So, So that's how you find me. Uh, please reach out um, uh, to any of those platforms. And I'm on social media. Andrew under slash D'Angelo is most of it. I'm even on TikTok. <laughs> um, and um, and so I'm pretty easy to find, pretty easy to get a hold of. And, you know, thank you so much for allowing me to sort of plug that a little bit. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I want to thank you again for coming on and, and joining us this evening. Chris, thank you. It was a pleasure to be with you, and I hope your listeners will stay strong in Texas and keep fighting the good fight. We'll get there. We'll get there together. One day we're going to do it. Grant's Place, the podcast where I bring you the doctors, scientists, patients, politicians, and ordinary everyday people to talk about anything and everything with facts and first-hand reports so you can make your own decisions on important issues. Cannabis law reform, politics, criminal justice, government, and economics are just a few. As always, I thank you for listening and for your generous support.